day, and we thank you for the gift of life. We bow before thee as creator of all. We marvel at the word of God that says that by the very breath of your mouth, the spoken word, the heavens and the earth, and everything came into being. And we bow down first in our hearts to thee as creator. Thou art awesome and great and infinite in every, every possible way, and we are small puny, frail, born in sin, and we sin, needing a Redeemer, and many of us have been redeemed, and we thank you so much. Thank you so much that we live on this uh, beautiful planet. It reminds us as we look at the beauty of the seasonal changes, the flowers, the trees, birds uh, heavier than, than air that fly and and, and living creatures that swim in your oceans and water and the beauty and the variety and the complexity and the wonder of life, that the thou art a God of, of enormous glory and it shouts glory to God in the highest and the stars are so beautiful and the beautiful moan that we enjoyed this past week remind us of you. For the shout of the Creator and the artisanship and the glory of God. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, and look forward to the glory of heaven and the sublime beauty of it. Uh, as beautiful as this earth is, and it is, it is a fallen world. It is because of men and women and sin and death. And yet, Lord, it's not home. Home is heaven, and we so look forward to uh, the upward call or the return of Christ and that we shall ever be with you, dwell in the house of God forever and ever. And I thank you for that. Keep us mindful that we are on the path, the road that leads to the celestial city. This is not it. We are so comfortable and you provide shelter and food and clothing and, and so much more here, Lord, that we get too comfortable and Lord, thank you so much that that glory and the prospect of what that the best uh, yet remains. And we look forward to that. Thank you, Lord, so much uh, for our Redeemer. It is an amazing thought to think that in your holiness and justice from eternity past, in the counsel of God, that you, uh, from eternity past, determined to save a people people for your glory, your calling, and your election. And, and in the process of that, the Lord Jesus, with joy, uh, took upon himself the work of the Redeemer with joy. He yeah, came running, as it were, in the incarnation to glory, uh, from glory to heaven, born uh, in a place with no home, no place to lay his head. And uh, for the work of uh, God, Emmanuel, in our midst, that you might live among us, that we might know what God is like in a, in, in a form that is limited by human body, but to see the very heart of God in Christ. We cry out, oh, Emmanuel, God with us. We're so, so thankful for our Bibles that teach us uh, of you, Father, and of your glorious Son and the redemptive plan of the ages and for there's power in the, in the gospel. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it, it saves and it sanctifies, it equips. It helps us in the midst of tears and brokenness and loss and grief. 
It gives us a sense of a great peace in our heart that you do all things well and that, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. You've provided the greatest of our needs in your own son. Shall you not provide us with all things that are far lesser? Uh, Paul asks that in Romans 8. We're thankful for that. We just want to bless you, our Lord, dying for us in our place. You died the death that we should have died. And we live the life now because of that. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Lord, may we live for you. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. We're a sinful people, though many of us have been saved. we prone to wander, Lord. We see it and we feel it and we, we do. And we just ask that you cleanse us and bring us to the end of sin again and to that place of blessing and contentment and peace and joy and fruitfulness that we might be the blessed men and women and teens and children and in our homes and in our places singing, making melody in our heart to the Lord, filled with gratitude, Lord. May, may that be us having no problem with submission. Why? Because we submit to you in all things. And so we thank you. Now we as a church are humble and small and we're just praying that you would use grace as a beachhead for the gospel. We, we beg of thee in the name of the Lord that you would provide our every need, that you would lead us and guide us even as we think of October and where we shall gather for worship and then as we think about developing the land that you've given to us, Lord, and you know the expenses involved in that and and we just wait upon you. We're the boy with the lunch. We simply give the loaves and the fishes and know that you, you delight in showing yourself strong. And, and so we wait upon you for that, Lord, and thank you. We are your children. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God would teach us now the Word. May we be encouraged. May we glorify you, Lord, with our lives today and then tomorrow and then the next as we seek to serve you. Thank you so much. Accomplish your purpose in our hearts. Some need a, a sense of direction. Some need provision. Some need salvation. All of us need to grow to be like Jesus, to be effective in our service. And so we pray, Lord, we're not much. Use us for your glory during these few days that is called our life. And at the end of it, if we should look back, may we smile and may we say, the Lord is good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you. Open the word now and teach us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bible. Let's uh, look at uh, Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We're looking at, uh, we saw last time uh, we were in, uh, two weeks ago we were here, we looked at the first two parables uh, in chapter 15. There are three. I've entitled this morning my message, Extravagant Love extravagant love is the word that came to mind as I studied this and thought about it. Some of you are Charles Dickens uh, fans. Charles Dickens of a different country in a different century uh, wrote all kinds of things, you know, Tale of Two Cities, you know, the, the line, uh, who knows the opening line of the Tale of Two Cities? Anybody get an A if you know that? Oh, oh Paul, tell us. Oh, Rob knows it. Or Sue? Go ahead, same time. A plus. These are the best of times. These are the worst of times. That's right. Uh, about a Christmas carol. He, Dickens wrote that. Anyway, Dickens uh, said about uh, our focus text this morning in, 
in Luke 15 about the prodigal, that the prodigal is the finest short story ever written. And it is. You know, our Lord Jesus is an amazing storyteller. You think about it. Here's God made flesh. And one of the most powerful ways that he teaches is to tell stories. And we all, and there's an expression that the whole world loves a story, especially a love story. If we're flipping through the channels, Faith, you'll want to know, is there a movie on if we have time? Is there a love story on there? You know, like, oh, any sappy uh, female uh, type of things, guys. We like to shoot them up and everything else. God forgive us, but uh, they like the love. Oh, they live happily. Uh, uh, the Lord was a great storyteller, and uh, we're going to see that again today. And, and I agree with Dickens. This is such every word of this story the Lord is going to tell is chock full of gold for us. Extravagant love. Well, in New York Harbor, there stands a lady. With her torch raised to the sky. How many of you have been in that lady and gone up to the crown, maybe? About half of you, maybe. And uh, she, she stood there now for over 100 years, welcoming all to our blessed country. Uh, Emma Lazarus, her poem, which is graven at the tablet, on the tablet within the pedestal on which the statue stands. And I have on your sheet just a little excerpt of Emma's poem. So beautiful. Keep, uh, she writes, keep ancient lands your storied pomp. She cries with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuge. Who knows what refuge is? What's refuse? Garbage. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, the wretched refuge of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. What a beautiful, beautiful poem inviting of, uh, the immigrants to come to this land. And all of us, have come from somewhere, that is, our families, right? And we trace our lineage. Some of you were telling me we came over on the Mayflower. I believe you, really, I do. And some of you came more recently, your family, my family. My grandfather was 13th born as they came through New York Harbor from east of Berlin, from Germany, with their Lutheran German Bibles and hymn books in 1886. And he was born in 1889. That's my father's father. And lived in a little German, went to a little German-speaking uh, uh, Lutheran church where they had Pew-Ren. How about that? Up in Northtown, one of the greater Buffalo, New York area. And, uh, so, and some, of your fam- some of you have been here a long time. You're like, we were from Jamestown. I, I detect a little pride there in a little bit. Or, uh, it, the only problem with that is, is wasn't Jamestown entirely wiped out no? Oh, Rona. Yeah, that's right. I was surprised to see that's Andy Griffith's home. And we said goodbye to Andy Griffith this week. Did you see that? They buried him in his home in Roanoke, uh, North, North Carolina, right? North Carolina. How about that? Well, America, isn't it? It's a great land. She's not perfect. There's no great, there's no perfect place. God certainly shed his grace on thee. Don't we love to sing that, that hymn? Well, in a far more important subject than immigration, 
far more important. Jesus tells us that God's love for sinners is so great that he went far and beyond anything reasonable to rescue you and to rescue me from our sin. And that, more than that, he welcomes us. Far greater than the lady in the harbor, he welcomes us to his home forever and ever with such great joy. Now we would have a, really a, a hard time believing this if Jesus didn't tell us this. We would go like, yeah, I know that, but uh, I don't know. I'm sort of a scoundrel. You know, I'm sort of like the Lord. No, a lot of people don't know what I am, but God knows everything about me, and uh, I think he'll let me in the back door if he lets me in. But Jesus gives us a whole different picture of the glory of God with this extravagant love of God for lost sinful men and women like you and like me where he welcomes us with joy into his home forever. Well, Jesus tells, and this is probably his best-known parable, the prodigal son. And here, God our Father, we might say, as one man writes, he kisses our past into forgetfulness. Now, how great is that? <laughs> he kisses our past into forgetfulness. We're going to read the parable, the story, where the father runs out and he finds his son. Actually, in the Greek, he falls on his neck. Now, that's a funny expression. Uh, but it's a complete emotional just bust uh, uh, with tears and everything. He falls down and he's kissing his son. And don't miss it. I'll tell you it ahead. This is what Jesus is telling us God the Father is like in welcoming sinner's home. We wouldn't believe it if Jesus didn't. I mean, we'd have a hard time believing it. This is, this is just so phenomenal. It's no wonder Christians ought to be so filled with such joy. We're such scoundrels. That's why it's a message for the whole community, for your friends and neighbors. Come, come to the cross. Don't clean up and come. Just come to realize that you're a sinner. You know, God is running towards you. He wants to welcome you with joy. The joy of, of telling a person this week, they're working on my car. This heat uh, brought about the demise of my battery. <laughs> Nothing in it. Turn the key. Wow, okay. So I get a jump, go down there, and they put it in at Advanced Auto. And I uh, had a chance to talk to the person and tell about the love of God. And uh, ask, it happened to be a, a woman. She, they're auto mechanics too, I guess. She did a great job. And, uh, and I asked her about, did she, had she gone to Sunday school? Did she know the gospel? Did she know Jesus? Yes, I'd gone. I, I, why, God wants you to come back. He, he's looking. He's waiting. Gave her a card. Welcomed her to grace. Everywhere we go, we ought to invite sinners to come to the Savior. He's not a hard taskmaster. He is looking, waiting, calling out of people. And he uses you and he uses me. This thought hit me. The gospel is not to be hoarded by the saved. We tend to do that. We're hoarders. Uh, I'm saved. That's good enough. I got the insurance. You know, we hoard it. And God has given it to us, what? To involve ourselves in reclaiming others who are lost that we might have the joy of seeing them come to God. I pray that we do that more and more as a people. 
God kisses our past into forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, he, he forgets. He removes. I, I love MacArthur when he says in, in regards to Psalm, I think it's 27, uh, Father, God forgive me, forget the sins of my youth. And MacArthur says that David prays that because we often remember our sins, don't we? And we go like, even though it's under the blood, we go like, oh man, oh man. And David, uh, even though he was uh, assured of salvation, but God says they're gone. Never to be brought up under the blood of Jesus, and he kisses our past in the forgiveness. It doesn't matter what sin or what you have done, whether this much or that much or whatever, that is the gospel. And no wonder Christians ought to be the most joyful, happy people, forgiven, released. And the joy ought to be all over us. There's an expression that used to go out and say, you know, he or she, oh, there's such joy in their heart. They smile with their eyes. Do you know what that is? There's a gleam. There's a joy. You don't see it when we're, when we're wayward, when we're far from where we ought to be, you know, and we have the conflict of the Spirit of God and the guilt in our heart and our conscience, and our eyes don't radiate. But there ought to be a joy of Jesus when we're walking with the Lord and serving Him and up to date with our sin. And He frees us of all the gunk in our hearts so that we might serve him. It's beautiful, really. Well, two brothers' tale displaying, a tale is a story, two brothers' tale displaying God's extravagant love for us. I mean, it, it puts it right out there and displays it as repentant sinners. God's forgiveness is always available. No history of sin too great. Isn't that, uh, isn't that wonderful? Let's, uh, let's look at chapter 15. I, I remind you, uh, you the, uh, the whole purpose uh, of the three parables in 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost son, are all saying the same thing. They're like uh, uh, three different instruments playing the same melody, having a little different tone and emphasis. It's the way you ought to think about that. And the whole purpose hangs like a key on the front door right at the very beginning. You can't understand these three until you see the context. Look at, so I remind you, look at chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Here's the context, the key to understanding what's going on. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. Wow, that's a wow. And look at 2. The Pharisees, they were the separatists, the religionists, the leaders, and the scribes, they were the religious lawyers of that day, they were grumbling, saying, this man, Jesus, welcomes, he receives sinners, and if that's not bad enough, he eats with them. And that day, that's intimate fellowship, intimate sharing, long periods of time. That's what the Lord, That's the key to understanding the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the point being, and you'll see it weave through here, that when God finds there's joy in heaven, celebration in heaven over what God has done. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the, the prodigal son, if you will, in verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Let's read the story. And, and Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share 
of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, that's God, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother, the elder brother, was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he, he who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. What a, what a tremendous story of two brothers. And yet I remind you, it's really not a story about my two sons or my two brothers or the two boys. It's really a story about a father who lavishes extravagant love uh, upon both of his sons, and we shall see that. Well, the first of the two brothers is the younger brother's, and uh, I've called it the younger brother's journey. He's the prodigal. Prodigal, since uh, it's a word we often don't use, uh, you should know it means recklessly wasteful recklessly, it's an adverb, recklessly wasteful. There's a second definition that I want you to note. 
because that recklessly wasteful was the younger brother, the younger son. But the second definition of prodigal, if you look it up in your English dictionary, it means the word lavish. Lavish. And some have rightfully so said that the, uh, the, the uh, younger brother uh, was, uh, was lost. The father was the real prodigal in this because of the way he lavished his love in an extravagant way upon his sons. It is a picture of our Father who is in heaven. And if we can trust Charles Spurgeon, he says it's really a picture. The Father picture is really the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who runs to his own and welcomes and receives and kisses are passed away in his utter forgetfulness. Is that, is that glorious? It's wonderful. All of us can relate. This, uh, this uh, younger brother's journey the pro- reveals heaven's reception. When you and I turn from sin and return, that God welcomes us with rejoicing. The real, the, the real loss here to the father is not going to be uh, the financial loss that he sustained when his son took his inheritance and left and squandered it. The real loss is the broken relationship that the father suffered uh, from the younger son. Well, Jesus A tells us that a man had two sons, and the younger one was sick of home, and he left with his inheritance. Uh, We know that he could take one-third of his father's estate. The older son, according to Israelite law, received two-thirds of the estate to carry on the name and the family, the elder brother. You can check that out, Deuteronomy 21.17. The other ones would receive a, a portion of the estate. Since there were two, older brother got twice as much, younger brother got one third of the estate. In any event, it's easy to imagine that this uh, younger boy uh, was probably a late teen, maybe 20, and had thought about leaving home for a long time. This is not something you fall out of bed one day, hit your head, and go to approach your father for uh, the, the wealth that is yours by inheritance in that day. You don't, you don't do that. And so he's sick of home. Some have said the outline uh, of this, and I think it's not bad, is his journey was, what, he's sick of home, and then he becomes sick, and then he comes homesick, and then he comes home. That's not bad, the old Puritans would write. Well, demanding his inheritance was to what? Father, I wish you were dead to me. Now, in that day, uh, in Jewish law, uh, a father could give his inheritance to his son uh, while he was yet living. And often that was done, especially if dad was quite aged. But what wasn't done was that inheritance was not sold because the inheritance now given to a son, uh, there would be money still to be made off it, whether it was land and oftentimes or livestock, they would think of that. There would be money generated from that, and that was still the father's. So think of it like an annuity. Some of you know what that is. 
you would give an annuity. Maybe you would transfer an annuity as a gift to a, one of your children, and uh, it's theirs, and it's legally set up. But until you would die, you receive a check every quarter off the interest of that. Very, that's very, that was commonly done. And so for him to demand his inheritance, uh, say, essentially saying, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I have no relationship with you. And then, then the text tells us that he sold it all, he liquidated it all, and you know what? If you do that, a man's earnings and life, possessions and increase, uh, the family wealth that's passed down, and to do that in a few days would amount to nothing more than a fire sale. You know, 50 cents on a dollar on something that his father worked at all his life and maybe received a good portion from his father and his father back. Uh, and and his, this foolish son uh, would, would sell this, turn it into cash, uh, and, uh, and be able to make his way uh, to a faraway place. Well, he was off to see the world, wasn't he? Uh, and uh, two, he wanted to live in recklessly wasteful living. And to do that, do you notice? Jesus is every word here. He had to leave his father. He had to leave his home. He had to leave his community. These built-in restraints. He had to leave his community of faith, the synagogue or whatever, and go far away. And that happens today with all of us. And, and we, we know of stories, and we've been a part of that, and, and maybe that's us, and maybe that's you now. You know, i got to go to the universe. i got to go to the big side. i got to get away from it. It's too constraining. I've got to break out. I've got to off to see the world. This is the prodigal. And I say to you that we're all in the picture here. Now I'm trying to think, am I one or the other? I'll tell you right now, we're both. We're going to be both of these. We are the prodigal, and we are the elder brother. And, uh, and God and the Lord Jesus is the Father here, and uh, we ought to just rejoice in the extravagant love that God has for us. And so he leaves to live reckless, a recklessly wasteful living. The Father, though brokenhearted, and no doubt uh, with tears and a broken heart, let his sinning son go his way, didn't he? He let him go. And you know, God does that with us, doesn't he? He does. He does. There have been times in my life where, hey, suppose, oh, on a tangent, <laughs> where it's like the Pilgrim's Progress. Here's, eh, over here, hey, you know, and, he, and it, in other words, doesn't grab me at the guardrail back on the road, back on the and God lets us go. And we see that in Romans 1. God, people didn't want to have God. The God that they knew, they, they, and God gives them up, lets them go. And they're going downward, downward. And anytime that's happened, downward. It's not upward. It's not Christ-like, even after coming to know Christ, right? The Father lets them go. According to the word of the Lord here, brokenhearted, lets them go. Well, the prodigal be, his life soon collapses after his departure. He squanders his possessions. In verses 13 to 16, he threw away his wealth through an undisciplined wild life. 
going on a spending spree for things of no value. Spending is father's life. Actually, it's the Greek word bion. Uh, when he wanted his inheritance, he wanted his father's life. In other words, the things he was able to accumulate was a direct reflection of the years of life of his dad's life. I want my buy-on. I want want your life. I want, and he spent it like this, on things of no value. And we do that, don't we? Wild spending. and, And make no mistake about that. He's lost because he wants to be lost. I say that to you how many times I love the honesty of Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway says, I'm an atheist because I love my sin. Yeah, I I love his honesty. And then he ended up cutting off his hand and killing himself. There's the end of that. He had more kids around the country with more women. It's a sad state of affairs. He was lost because he wanted to be lost. People love their sin. Men love darkness rather than light. That's in us. All of us. Not just them out there. All us. Us. There's something within us. It's like a magnet. It just draws us. He's lost because he wants to be lost. Some of, and yet we read the text here, some of the, the boy's hard time is not of his own doing. I mean, uh, he's living this high life and not really thinking about the high cost of low living. And he never planned to spend all the money, I'm sure. But he was, uh, boy, he was riding it high and spending it big. And, and boy, did he have friends. Boy, you have friends like that, right? Oh, man. Another round for everybody. I heard a guy somewhere at the stadium. I don't know where it was. Maybe it was the NBA playoff. He bought a round of drinks for the whole arena. Imagine that. That would have maxed out his credit card. (laughs) Like, what's the matter with people? Like, holy cow. Everyone loves that. Hey, you're my best friend until the credit card's maxed, right? (laughs) That's what he did. And he he had no margin. He had no thought about tomorrow. And he spent it like, man, spent it. And not all of it is his own problem, as I said, because uh, uh, there's suffering added. because of a famine. I mean, nature takes a bad situation, makes it worse. I mean, stuff happens, right? Stuff happens in this fallen world. And we, we don't see it coming. And it's a wise man that lives on a storage. It's a wise man that doesn't spend everything he has. It's a wise man that makes prudent decisions. It's a wise man that's generous with the Lord and with God and God's real needs, but he doesn't spend it all like a spendthrift. This boy was a fool, spending his father's life, if you will. On what? On what? Stuff that will never satisfy. And now, now he's in terrible situation because just living life in the fallen world, stuff happens. Now with no money and no family, Suffering in a distant land, the boy is in trouble. I mean, he's in trouble. Now, we live here, and most of us do, and if I said to Jonathan when he moved down to North Carolina, he didn't really know anybody. And when you move into an area and you don't know anyone, it really is hard, especially when you're all by yourself. 
He didn't have any housing. He didn't have any job. He didn't. Have, he knew the Lord had him go down and go to school. But it's a, and we got just a little taste of that. Faith and I, when we moved from Buffalo out to Indiana to do graduate school, we didn't know anybody. We couldn't find any housing. We are more sensitive to that than perhaps you that live with family around and multiple generations and that. There's a security in that. Families look out for each other. You know, we do that. Yesterday on the phone, I, I, I got off the phone with, with David, and I said, David had uh, remortgaged their home. They got, a, they got a good rate about a year ago. And I, and I said to him, hey, you know, I just saw in the Wall Street Journal the rates for 20, 30 years were like 2.9. I go like, check it out. I mean, where were you, four or five? I go like, you know, it's a point and a half. And, you know, if you're going to be in a house two years, I think you're going to save real Mommy, and, and I, he's like, well, what's that, Dad, this and that? No, I, he gets off the phone, and I said to Faith, you know, that's how it is. We're, families look out for each other. You know, we take care of each other, and that's the way. But when you go somewhere where you're cut off by his own choice, and he's destitute now, I mean, he is marching to death, if you will. He is marching in this parade toward toward absolute abjunct poverty. He's suffering in a faraway place. He is in trouble. And he enters into poverty with nowhere to turn. He's destitute. He's at the bottom. Yes, he never planned this. He never planned this. This was not in the game plan. But there are, there's the principle of sowing and reaping, and it's written into the very fabric of life. My mother wrote that onto my conscience when I was such a little boy. You know, what you sow, you will reap. That was right, right next to John 3.16 and the inside cover of my Bible. That and a number of places from Proverbs. I mean, unintended consequences. We hear a lot about that with the health care law and that unintended. This was an un I never saw this coming. And then a famine, and not, now I'm destitute. Cut off from everything, and I have not even a dime in my wallet. He is at the bottom, this high cost of low living. Wow, destitute. Well, Jesus tells us at this point, it's a wonderful verse. Look at verse 17. Uh, but when he came to himself, uh, we would say at this point, he came to a census. I think that's a fair equivalence for today. But when he came to his senses, and thank God he did, some just keep going in this path toward death. It's a terrible thing. I, we were brokenhearted this week, when, when, and, and if you saw it too, uh, this 20-year-old gal... Um, from graduated uh, two years ago from Cumberland Valley High School and uh, had some issues and had some problems, but according to the paper, the last two years was stumbling into drugs and, and, uh, and, and finally heroin, and it's the addictiveness of heroin is so horrible. Um, and then and she was arrested, taken to the Holy Spirit Hospital. The family pled with her to admit her to the psychiatric ward. They refused, blah, blah, blah. They took her to the prison, and the poor girl 
hung herself. And we go, what a tragedy. A beautiful 20-year-old young lady had everything to live for. And when, to one decision to another was on this road to death. You go, like, why didn't anybody just scream and stop? He's in the same way. He's at the bottom. He's with the pigs. He's feeding the pigs. He wanted to eat the slop of the pigs. And at that low point, uh, uh, God came to him and visited him, brought him to his senses. That's the only way sinful men and women in our rebellion even come back. And I, I agree with the writers. This is his conversion and his return home, verses 17 to 21. I mean, his plight finally hits him, and he realizes, he realizes how far he has descended. He is plunged to the depths. And this is the turning point. In verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish. I'm dying here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. See, it's a 180 turnabout here. And say to him, Father, I've sinned. He's confessing. His sin to his father, he's confessing it to God. That's against heaven. And then in, in great humility, he realizes he's not even worthy to be called his son. Just treat me as one of the lowliest of low. It's doulos, as the bonser, as a servant. And he arose and he came to his father. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful picture of conversion. Uh, this is the turning point. He acknowledges his following before God and his Father, and now he acts quickly and humbly. And God always honors that. He always honors it when we humble ourselves. This is the picture of repentance, verse 18. It shows us what repentance looks like in our life and what it ought to look like in your life and mine when we come to the point and we agree with God. What I've been saying, what I've been doing, the way I've been acting is shameful and it's wicked and, it's, and it breaks the heart of God and grieves the Spirit of God. And I, I repent of that. I agree with you, God. It's sin. And, and we come humbly with no excuses. We don't come with any but, 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 you know. Uh, if you wouldn't have been like that, I wouldn't have done this. None of that. It just comes totally bankrupt, casting himself upon mercy, God's mercy alone, his kindness, the that, that he should uh, not treat him in a way that he really deserves, just relays, relies on God's mercy. Well, he leaves the pigs. He re rehearses his lines. Don't you love the indirect address here, he, uh, uh, the, the monologue going on here that the Lord tells uh, his words within his story, and he returns to his father. And you have to say, little could he have anticipated the reception he would have received from his father. You can bet that he ran the, the, the gamut on, I wonder how my father's going to respond. I wonder how he's going to, is he going to beat me? Is he going to ignore me? Is he not going to even receive me? Is he going to spit at me? Is he going to, you know, the whole thing. You know, how will he? And Jesus is telling us, now don't forget, this is how God receives us. When we humbly come to him broken, 180, when he brings us to that point. The reception and receive from his father. 
I haven't uh, always done things right, of course, nor have, <laughs> nor have you. We're all in good company, right? Uh, there, there was a time uh, when Jonathan, my son, was far from where he should have been. And, uh, you know, we prayed and we sensed. We didn't know the extent of things that he was being captured by and walking toward. And through a series of events, um, and he has recounted some of those, even here at Grace, God brought him uh, in a 180-degree uh, changeabout in his life. And I, I remember uh, those, some of those days, uh, and he said, Dad, I have to speak with you. And uh, we went into my study, and we talked, and he uh, said that uh, he needed to ask forgiveness, and he needed to find cleansing from the Lord. And uh, he began to tell me of the depths of the things that he had been, had been snatched into. And, uh, uh, and so I, I, as his dad, didn't know a lot of it, and it broke my heart, really. I hate, I hate Satan, and I hate darkness, and I hate what sin does to people in my own life, but particularly as I see it in others, particularly in those that you love dearly. And uh, my response was, uh, uh, was really uh, tears. And then uh, I hugged him, and then we knelt and prayed for a long time. And, uh, and, and it began a big turnabout for him, and he... He, he said to me years uh, later, a couple years ago, he said, you know, um, I didn't know if you were going to kick me, beat me, <laughs> take your belt off. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what you would say. And I go like, well, I, and he said, I just remember your response was so unbelievably forgiving and loving and broken that that was the final thing that broke me and brought me back. And I go like, wow. Well, then the Lord had to do it because it wasn't, it wasn't me. I couldn't rehearse. I didn't even know what you are going to say, really. And he took me back to this. He said, Dad, you responded just like this father here. And I go, well, that was, had to be the Spirit of God in me only, I'm sure. And I thank God for that because I've made so many other failures and mistakes. Because <laughs> the father here, he doesn't give him a lecture, you know? Do you notice that? He doesn't pull out a little thing and start writing out, telling me everything, and none of that. He doesn't know woulda, shoulda, couldas, no sermon, you know? Not, not, isn't that amazing? No sermon, no, just the extravagant love of God to welcome Praise God for that. I, I, I feel like, and that's the gospel, you know, that more people need to hear this. We need to unleash this grace church and say, go share the greatest love. So it's, it's un, you can't imagine. It's so great. And people need to hear it. They do. Because we're all prodigals. We are. Well, the Father sees him coming, indeed. You think he looked for him for many days? I think so. I think he looked for him every day. You see, the son had been lost, but he was never forgotten. And I'm sure every day his father thought about, prayed about, and looked for his son. 
I mean, they didn't have cell phones. Hey, where are you? <laughs> or David will call me and say, hey, what are you up to? I always tell him 5'10". He said, we quit saying that. I know how tall you are. <laughs> what are you up to? I said, well, why do you keep asking? 5'10". He was in Chicago yesterday. But this father didn't have a cell phone. Hey, where are you? What? what? You're over there? Get your butt home, you know? No. Nothing. Silence. And went on day after day, week after week. Imagine that. And I'm sure every day he wondered where he was, what he was doing. Even though he was far away from his father's house, he was never away from his father's heart. Never away. Never. And so the father sees him coming. It says in verse 22, a great distance off. And uh, he runs to him. He made an utter spectacle of himself. The father did. He forgets his age. He forgets his dignity, and he runs to him. Now listen, in that day, old men did not run. They just didn't do it. It just wasn't done. I know we're Nike. We're in the Nike age, and some, some guys and, and ladies are out there running, and don't run when it's this hot. I don't want any funerals this week. Okay? But it's hot, and they're out there running it. And that day, you didn't run. They wore long flowing robes. You would have pull your robes up, undergarments showing, running. You don't run. It wasn't done. I saw that down when Sarah's mat was at the Naval Academy. There were certain things in protocol that the uh, Naval students down at the Naval Academy didn't do. <laughs> I always remember. I'm like, what, what don't you do, Matt? He says, well, number one, the, when you eat an ice cream cone, if we're training to become officers, you don't lick it. You don't lick an ice cream cone. I go like, what's wrong with that? It's not dignified. You get a spoon and a cup. You don't wave your tongue around in the air for everyone to see it. Not dignified. What else don't you do? He said, you never run. I was so surprised by that. You never run. You never, you move fast, you walk fast, but it's not dignified. Officers do not run because it's like, what are they doing? You know, just imagine that. Imagine if all of a sudden our president went running out of uh, the White House running. We're like, what's up? What does he know that we don't know? <laughs> Put people in a panic maybe, right? In this day, old men did not run. He ran. He made a spectacle of himself. It's so beautiful. Uh, uh, he forgets his age and dignity. He runs. He initiates. He initiates. He gives him a giant hug, the text says. He expresses his joy with, with a kiss. Actually, he fell on his neck and he kissed him repeatedly. I mean, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the, the affection of, uh, of a father to his son. I still do that. I come from a huggy, touchy family, and, and uh, we express that. Some of you don't, and that's okay, and, and that. But I still, when my, my boys come home, even, my, my, even Greg, I kiss them on the neck or the cheek. I hug them and kiss them. And for at first, they, when they went away and came back, they're all dead, they're men. But you know what? They like it now. That's, the old, that's my old man, you know. I love them. Someday, I won't know anything if I live that long, right? But I show my affection to them. I want them to know that always, I do. 
He kisses him unashamedly, fell on his neck. Reminds me of Acts 20 when Paul said to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, you will never see my face again. And they, at Miletus, the elders, it said, fell on his neck and they were weeping and kissing him with brotherly affection. Because of his words, you'll never see me again. He was going off to Jerusalem, remember, and be arrested and all that. The, uh, the, the, the family affection. The father accepts him completely. And the text tells us he clothes him and calls for a celebration. It's extravagant. It's, this, is, this is the heart of God. That's what Jesus is telling us. This gives us a glimpse, a glimpse of what God is really like with us. This is not so much a story about sons, as it's really about the love of a father who lavishes his love upon an undeserving son. That's really the gospel. That's really us. And if we can trust, as I said, Spurgeon's thought, it's really the picture of Jesus welcoming us. Welcoming. The, the emotion displayed here is basic to the love that exists in family among family members, and is powerfully portrays God's love for us. It is a reunion. It's a welcoming. It's almost a picture when, uh, uh, when military men and women are away on duty, Afghanistan or somewhere else in the world, for a long period of time. And, uh, and, and, and they'll, they're coming in then, uh, and the families are gathering in maybe a public gym or something. Sometimes that goes on. And uh, they're there, and the little ones, and babies born while they were away. And you can almost feel the emotion. It like hangs, like down in Georgia with a moss hanging from the oak, just hanging there. And they, in they come, and just, just the, the emotion just spills over. They haven't seen that one in, in months and months, and maybe longer than that welcoming that husband, that wife, that mom, that dad home with a flood of tears. Well, that's the younger brother's journey. It reveals uh, heaven's reception when you and I return to the Lord or come to him. Maybe, maybe you're still the prodigal and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior. This is the invitation to come. Come, be welcomed. But it doesn't end there, does it? There are two brothers. And the tale displaying God's extravagant love also is, a, is revealed in the uh, protest of the older brother in verses 25 through 32. It reveals God's displeasure toward us uh, when we react against his generosity in welcoming sinners. This is the elder brother. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field. Now, he was managing. He was, had no dirt under his nails. <laughs> Not when you have that kind of wealth and that kind of servants. He was uh, management, not, uh, not labor. I think that's fair. And he came to, and he drew near to the house, and he heard music. The word music, John, is symphonia, Greek word. It means more than one instrument we're playing. I mean, this was an ensemble. They got them together, and they're playing, and, and they're dancing. 
That's the Greek word chorus. Did you know that? Choreography, chorus. They're dancing. I mean, that's, that's party hardy time. That's what they're doing here. And the older son had to be away. I mean, maybe the land was pretty far away and he's making the journey in because unless they're like party time all the time, I mean, it takes a little bit to get the fatted calf ready. You know, you got to roast them and butcher them, roast them and get the music team in there and everything else. And you, know, you got to shower probably before it, right? And the ladies always appreciate that, men, and uh, and so on. And and so he comes. He calls the servant. Yes, what are, what's all this mean? Your brothers come home. Your father, man, he's pulled out the red carpet. He's back safe and sound. That's the reason for the party. And his response was anger, anger, and he refused to go in. Anger. Does that sound like the Pharisees? Chapter 15, verse 2. They murmured. He welcomes sinners. We've always been here. We've always served like, uh, like God is a taskmaster. We've never left. Or so we think. They were just as lost, but they were lost at home. The Pharisees, the elder brother. You know, there are two ways you can be lost. You can go to the far field of sin in sin and be lost, or you can stay at home filled up with self-righteousness, sort of a works-oriented type of a mentality, like I'm, I'm pretty good. I've always been here. I've always served. You have? I don't think so. But to fool yourself with some sort of religiosity, that's, that's the older brother. He's, the, he's going to demand justice not mercy. Give him what he deserves. Cast him out. After all, all that's left is really mine. It really was all his. That fatted calf was really the elder, elder brothers. And all the rest. And maybe he's come back to, uh, to take some more of what really is his. I mean, I have served uh, this father of ours. And it's mine. Well, his old A is his response is deplorable, really. It's self-centered. It's filled with anger. It's filled with resentment because his father welcomed the younger brother home. He came home from the field. He had no idea what was going on. He's angry. And now he refuses to go in and join the festivities. That, in that day, in that culture, was a great insult to his father. The older son in that, that setting should have been like the master of ceremonies. Right in the thick of it. But he remains outside in a self-righteous, self-centeredness and he insults his father. And so what? Here's the father again. He initiates. He comes out to urge his son to come in. And yet the elder brother is completely unmoved. The coldness of the Arctic blast that blew across his heart. Unmoved by the safe return of his brother, he demands justice. I always did my duty. Duty. That's how he looked at it with his father. What kind of relationship is that? God wants us to love him with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. He's not the taskmaster. You see, that was what the Pharisees considered. I kept the law. He's a taskmaster. I deserve better. I'm religious. We're holy, so-called. And yet completely lost and embittered that God, that Jesus should invite sinners to come 
and celebrate when they've been found? It's not right. He's a sinner. He ought to be cast out. They had far too high of opinion of themselves. Well, this is truly, some call this the parable of reversal. The son lost in outside, that's the prodigal, is now inside. While the inside elder brother complains from the outside. The elder brother desires his brother disowned. Don't honor him. He is not worthy. Well, I mean, he speaks with contempt of his brother. Do you see that? He doesn't even call him my brother. He calls him what? Your, your son in that one. He refuses to acknowledge his relationship. And I want to ask, how does he know that his brother's been spending his inheritance on prostitutes? Riken writes, and he says, uh, I mean, if there was no communication, how would he have known? I, perhaps he's guessing, or Riken goes on to say, perhaps that's his own sinful heart. That if he could do whatever he wanted to do, he would run off and live in such lascivious fashion with harlots and prostitutes and all, because he had no dialogue with his brother, and it didn't seem like any communication came in. Hard, hardness, disown him. And he speaks with contempt to his father. It really, it's, it's deplorable. And see, the father's reply, don't miss this, is as gentle, is as gentle as the elder son is harsh. You see, the father will not let the elder son's comments stand. He is going to correct it. He is going to say that he is your brother. He calls him, first of all, uh, in, 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 the, in the text, he calls him son, tekna. He, says, he said to him, son, means my son, my dear one. It's a tender word of affection. My child, sometimes it is. You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Your inheritance is safe. Don't worry about that. It was fitting. It's morally right, is the way it comes across, to celebrate and to be glad. This is a moment for joy. For this, your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. It's sort of a resurrection took place here. Today is not a day to call for fairness. It's a day to call for a party and joy celebrate, for he was dead, but now he's alive. And the point is, since God can be so gracious and so forgiving, so should we as his people be to what we would say the greatest of sinners. I've often thought about that. Now, you, you know, think about those that do great and heinous sin, you know. Would we welcome them at Grace Church if Adolf Hitler to walk through the door? That would, be, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, and a, on a lot of levels, that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, but we think of people like that, you know, gross and great sinners. Uh, there was a doctor, I think he was in Kansas, for many, many years he profited, making thousands upon thousands of dollars aborting babies, slaughtering them. 
babies for dollars, you know, that kind of a thing. And at a point in his life, it was, as I recall, in his 50s, the grace of God visited that man. And the man came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and began to try to undo all that he had done in his life of waywardness and sin and debauchery. And I go like, I wonder, would we welcome him into our church family? Or would we say, oh, I'm sorry, we're sinners, yes, but you're a greater sinner and uh, you need not apply. And I wonder about that, don't you? I, I really, really, I, I would pray for the grace of God that we would recognize that we all stand on a level ground here. We're all prodigals at heart, and we, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel prone to leave the God. And we do, and God brings us back, and he brings us back. But we're also the elder brother. We think we're doing better. We're a better class of sinners than maybe some. And we're not. We're kidding ourselves. The extravagant love of the Father, of the Lord Jesus, to welcome and kiss away all of our sin in his forgetfulness blows me away. Well, the proverb ends, and, and the Lord, the master story, doesn't tell us how the elder brother responds. It's left open. You just wish he would say, ah, he repented, came in, they had a great time. <laughs> they partied for seven days. Incidentally, they really did party long days. <laughs> Not this three-hour thing. It's left hanging open. And I think it's left hanging open for a couple of reasons. Because it was for the Pharisees to consider. For they were playing the role of the elder brother. What would they do? Would they repent? Would they come to saving faith? But even more importantly, it's left open, I think, for you and I to think about what would we do? What would we do? Repentance yields God's kindness, which wipes the slate clean. And there's a reason to rejoice, indeed. Well, lessons for life. Every one of us, I'm sorry to tell you that, but you are recklessly wasteful. Each of us by nature are sinners and have wandered far away from the Lord into the foreign country of sin and rebellion. And we still have a tendency to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel. Prone to leave the God I love. We are the prodigal. Even some of you, they said, well, they were always pretty good. Problem is, not good enough. <laughs> there is none good. Jesus said, why do you call me good? <laughs> Number two, all of us are also the elder brother. When we think that by our works and labor, that's self-righteousness, that God is more pleased or we're more acceptable before him. Wow, Lord, you and I have really doing something here. <laughs> wow, you ready? Pride still goes before a fall. Oh, my. Oh, God. When we think uh, better of ourselves than we ought, that we have always been there, faithful. No way. 
No way. Remember, there are two ways to flee from God. There are two. You can run into the far fields of sin, the prodigal, or remain home filled up with self-righteousness. Number three, be absolutely amazed and overwhelmed by the extravagant love of God for you. It ought to amaze you. Amazing love, how can it be? We ought to sing that and hum that. That God should love us. Us scoundrels. Extravagant. Over the top. I used to think about that, that, that the man who wanted to show his love for his wife in Toronto, Canada, from Buffalo, was only 90 minutes away, but he built his wife. He spent years and years of his life building a castle up there. You can go there and tour the grounds. And it's incredible beauty. And you're like, that's really over the top. Now, how do you top that? You know, I love my wife. Let's see. Fade out there. I mean, like, eh. Even a piece of nice jewelry seems cheap at that point by comparison. That's over the top. The, the Father's love, God's love for us is over the top. Unexplainable. He tells us that God delights in our repentance. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Over the top. Over the top. And God welcomes us. Number four, be aware of any tendency you have to look down on sinners, thinking that you're better. It is such an insidious thing, you know, in our, our bent, that somehow we're smarter, better, this, than the next person. I hate it. I despise it. I loathe it. Beware of that. And number five, let me urge you today, run to Jesus just as you are. Don't clean up. Don't shower. Just as you are. He'll welcome you, save you from all your sin. Wow. It's no wonder one of the great verses of all time, John 3.16, is it not? For God so loved the world, he agapazoed the world, that he gave. His only son, monogenes son, one son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the God we serve. That's the God I love. That's the God I do not fear. I revere. I honor. But there's no reason to fear. Wow. Father, thank you so much for your wonderful word Thank you for the story of the prodigal, the elder brother. But it's really a story about you, Lord. And I pray that we'll be so overwhelmed today, this week, as we think about your love that you lavish upon us as the prodigal father, recklessly, over the top, that you should save a people like us for your glory and your glory alone. Help us, Lord, not to be those that, uh, that keep that message to ourselves. Help us, Lord, not to be those who hoard it, but find great joy in sharing in bits and pieces, in longer segments, intentionally wanting to reach others with the greatest love story ever told. And we'll thank you for it. Dismiss us with your blessing here in a moment. We love you so. In Jesus' name.
Paul made today's closing selection easy for us. <clears throat> uh, so we're not going to 